Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Shoulder Charge. Yeah, I think it's episode 15. Anyway, let's get right into it. Let's start off with the news from Super League. I think you might know what I'm going to start with. The Israel Fellows story, that rumbling on. So, he played his first game for Catalans. Played quite well against Castleford. Two inconsistent sides, as usual. But yeah, he did quite well. But the main thing was the pride flags in the stands. Now, there's there was a bit of confusion as to what was going on there. A Castleford fan took a pride flag into the ground and said that the steward told them to remove the flag, but she refused to do so. On the video evidence that was put on social media, I think the first request to remove the flag was because it was covering a sponsor name or something like that, and the the videos on Twitter did show that, so, you know, maybe the steward was just saying, you know, you can't cover up the um, advertising hoardings, which is fair enough. But then the particular fan said that they came back to her and tried to remove it again, but she she didn't she refused to do so. But to my knowledge, the fan wasn't ejected because of that. So it may it may have just been a rogue steward. It may have been the fact that it was covering the advertising hoardings. Catalans say that they don't refute, you know, they allow those flags in the ground. They're welcome to bring those flags. So, not sure what went on there. And there's a bit of conflicting evidence as well because on Monday afternoon you're thinking, right, you know, Catalans have said that they allow these flags. It was probably just an overzealous steward. But then, the RFL are now inve- Why are the RFL now investigating? Because Catalans have done their own investigation, and now the RFL are doing their own investigation. And I read in the paper, which I have handy here. I read in the paper that a bit of conflicting evidence. It says here. Uh, let me find it. One of the two supporters says she was asked to not display a rainbow flags by stewards. There were five stewards who first cited her. So there was, apparently according to this report, there was five stewards, five separate stewards who cited health and safety reasons. And then also said that it was against the views of the club to carry the flag. So, so this is apparently what the the stewards have said to this particular fan that carrying this pride flag is against the views of the club. Again, it could be rogue stewards, but why why are stewards saying that? Who knows? And apparently, according to this report that I'm reading to you now, 
Catalans have claimed that the fan and another woman was asked to remove banners because they were described as insulting and aggressive rather than the rainbow flags and they was also asked to button up tops that revealed t-shirts with inflammatory messages so not everything adds up there does it you know we got a claim on the Catalan side that they've had aggressive and insulting messages and they had messages on the t-shirts I'm not I don't know about that I've not seen that anywhere and then we've got this the supporters the supporter who says that stewards told them that it was against the views of the club so who knows maybe we'll find something in the RFL investigation but with the way the RFL are so tight-lipped about every little bit of information we probably will never find out ever but anyway that that was a bit of news that caught my eye anyway Next bit of headlines, Wakefield beat Warrington. And then the question that poses is, who wants to win Super League? Because in these opening three rounds we've seen Wigan lose, we've seen Hull lose, Saints lose, Warrington lose. You know, these are all supposed to be the contenders. Wigan lose to Castleford, who I've not predicted will do well. Warrington lose to... Relegation back to Wakefield. Yeah, bit strange that one, isn't it? Who's going to win Super League? St Helens were quite sluggish when they lost. Wigan were quite sluggish in the opening couple of rounds, actually. But yeah, the only team unbeaten is Huddersfield Giants. And they they decide that's only won, that's only played twice. And also, you may have heard Ben Thaler, the referee. I don't think he's refed since February 2nd. I was wondering where he'd actually gone, to be honest. I was thinking, where's Ben Thaler gone? But he's been suspended by the RFL. I've read quite a number of news reports, not giving an inkling as to... Why or what? Not a clue. RFL again, very vague. It's a, I think it's a bit of a bizarre stance to do. You know, what have they got to hide there? You know, if it's a personal matter, if it's a, because of comments, if it's, you know, what what is it? Do I think people deserve to know. We don't have to have the whole details, but we can have you know, a pretty generalised ballpark as to what's happened. And Ben Thaler, through his representatives, so he's very shocked by it, I think I saw. So, yeah, a lot of vagueness going on with the RFL. Not too keen on that, but yeah, that's what's been happening in the last week anyway. My highlight of the week, though, was that mud bath in the Challenge Cup. It were Keithley v Newcastle, and by the end of it, both sides were covered from head to toe in mud. You couldn't see the faces, 
You couldn't see what hair colour they had. You couldn't see the numbers on the back of the shirts. And yet they were there jumping over for a bloody try and all sorts. Passing the ball around. Like, no, we're going on, you know, carry on as normal. But <laughs> if it's on uh, Twitter, on the RFL uh, account, if you want to check that out anyway. But that brought a smile to my face last week anyway. So have a look at that if you've got the chance. And then we move on to the games that was. We'll start off with the last Thursday night's match. Wigan beat Toronto 32-10. I thought for most of the game, it was a pretty close-run match, actually. And I think we're seeing now Brian McDermott's side, Toronto, who I've not been very complimentary of. We're seeing them adapting to life in Super League. Or just a point before we talk about the game itself... Toronto have got that legal case coming up that's still going on with the unpaid, I think it's £180,000 unpaid, what the claimant says unpaid anyway, unpaid media um, fees. So the company streamed the games and produced them and they say they're owed £180,000. That is going to court it seems like it's going to side into in the media company's favor which says alarm bells you know they've got a full salary cap they've pumped so many millions into it they've got nothing back of it so far they've no central funding they're not competing in the competitions or at least they've not been anywhere the cup competitions so yeah worrying who knows it's only £180,000, you know, what? why would you be so reluctant to pay that? Who knows? But there you go, that's that. Let's go back to the game. It was always going to be tough for Toronto with the opening fixtures that they've got. And it's only going to get tougher next week because I think they've got Warrington. Well, it's this week, in it? But yeah, you know what I mean. And they've got a full salary cap. They've got space for two extra players, I think it is. But now, they've only got 17 players fit. So that's a squad, and they can't afford any more. They lost John Wilkin in the build-up to the Wigan match. So, it's an interesting few weeks coming up for them. As to what are they going to do. It's going to be quite tough. On to last Thursday's game, though. They were putting pressure on Wigan in the early stages. They had quite a few good kicks. They were forcing the goal line dropouts. And Toronto had the lead. And it, it were down to Wigan just simply not catching the ball. And then giving away penalties. So it, 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 it was a pretty sluggish start from Wigan. Which has been common throughout their first matches uh, this year. You know, they sort, of, they sort of brought that sloppiness into the game with them. And I thought, for periods in that first half, when they were going forward, there were no real direction. I didn't think there were much pace to the, to the game. And 
they usually are very good when they start picking up the pace, getting in those quick passes. But at least at the start of the game, they were making it easy for Toronto because they didn't have any of that style that they known for. They soon did get back into the shape though and then, you know, started getting points on the board. The quality did shine through in the end and I think the pairing between Bevan French and Jackson Hastings is much like the pairing with Niall Evels and Jackson Hastings that Salford had last year. I thought that some of the tries that they was involved with, they were similar tries to what Evels and Hastings would have got last year. And yeah, that that purring is pretty scary, isn't it? And a couple of podcasts ago, I did say, you know, Hastings, he might have a tougher year because he's not the only star man in the Wigan squad, whereas he was at Salford. But he's clearly proving that theory wrong. He seems to be central to everything that Wigan are doing. He's doing those passes that he were doing for Salford. He's creating those attacks, opening up those spaces, picking the passes that nobody else can see. And that that's what he did against Toronto. And the try of the week for me were the way... Bevan French just took that ball from a 20 metre restart, absolutely bro- absolutely blitzed through the Toronto defence, got it onto Jackson Hastings and then onto Joe Burgess, you know, flying through the black shirts of Toronto and finishing it off, getting the ball down on the try line. And towards the end of the game, I thought Bevan French would be. You were getting more flamboyant as the minutes passed by. You know, I think a couple of minutes before the end, he was was attempting an outrageous chip and chase, which, for me, oozes confidence. He's such a great player. I think he's my favourite player at the moment, and he's really making that Wigan side tick. And, you know, if he's not top of the Man of Steel charts, then... You know, the summit wrong there. So, yeah, Toronto give it a good go, but Wigan were just the quality shone through, which is so often the case when these sort of sides come up against each other. Moving on to Salford v Huddersfield. Huddersfield won by two points, 12 to 10. You could say it was a boring game, whilst it didn't have much tries though. I thought it was two decent quality clubs, you know, going toe-to-toe. And you could say, you know, it was a low score because they didn't have the quality to get the ball over the line. But I think that's unfair, to be honest. I thought Salford started off the better of the two sides. I think they forced two goal-line drop-eights. So they were really piling on the pressure, but there you go. They They didn't make anything of it. And... The Giants grew into the game. And while we're talking about Huddersfield, we'll talk about the player watch, which this week is Aidan Caesar, who I thought had a mixed game. But I thought when he was really good, he was one of the best players, you know, in the league, I thought. And he really showed what he can do. 
some of those kicks were sublime but some of them were not so good at all as well I think the best bits of his kicks you know he was able to turn a pretty basic set of six into another set you know forcing that goal line dropout just because he got a good kick in there and you know that was out of nothing really because there was a time when they didn't make that much meters but that kick was correct so they got the the dropout but it did backfire a few times when Salford were just catching it with ease and Huddersfield were in a good position to get the ball down but the best one for me was when he kicked it over the top cross field where Lewis Senior were waiting on the wing and nobody saw it coming nobody on the Salford team saw it coming nobody even on the Huddersfield team saw it coming it just so happened that that cross field ball fooled everybody and landed in the hands of Lewis Senior who all he had to do was put the ball on the ground second half I thought the Giants were sloppy as I said Salford were catching the kicks you know easily and it was quite a few times that they did that as well so had they improved the play on the last tackle you know that wing could have been more comfortable and let's just mention that stupid headbutt by Kevin Brown what the hell was he doing that's not what you want from an experienced player like him that's all I'm gonna say then elsewhere Catalans beat Castleford 36-18 Israel Falau shone on his debut got a try didn't see the game it was the most anticipated match of the week probably the most watched in terms of media and it weren't on telly two very inconsistent sides they were last year you couldn't really predict to ca what Castleford were going to do from one week to the next same with Catalans and I don't think you can this year you know Castleford beat Wigan last week you think okay they must have been pretty good to do that but then they lose to Catalans and Catalans are much the same in terms of their results as well so you know not much more to say about that really next week they'll probably do lose again moving on to Wakefield and Warrington sounded like Wakefield were very disciplined they won 18-8 I think it was they took the chances when they got them they got a couple of penalties got them points on the board you know simple maybe the weather played a part who knows didn't see the game but Warrington should be beating Wakefield then the last game was Hull v Saints Saints won 32-18 and I heard a lot of that on the on the commentary from BBC Radio Humberside it was pretty uneventful in that first half but it were Hull who were leading 6-2 at half time so 
what happened in that second half where they conceded 30 points. It sounds like a bit of a capitulation to me, which is what happened last year. And we thought with these new signings that they'd put that behind them. But whilst it is St Helens who had a more full, a fuller strength side than they did the week before, to concede 30 points, if you're one of the dark horses for the grand final, 30 points in the second half, it's not good enough. And yeah, it's only round three, but soon it'll be round five, soon it'll be round seven, and we'll be, you know, we'll have one third of the season nearly gone. So, you know, games come thick and fast. Moving on to the stats. We'll start in the championship and we'll talk about the team at the top of the table, which is Lee. And after three matches, they've averaged nearly 43 points per game. And that's pretty impressive by anyone's standard, whether they play in the lower Lee sides or whether they play in the top sides. So, yeah, 43 points a game. That's. That is very, very on point. You know, that's a real statement of intent from Lee there. And they've got... Are they full-time, Lee? I think they might be full-time. They've got a lot of Super League experience behind them. They've, they've spent quite a bit of money. But in those games where they've averaged nearly 43 points a game, they've faced York, Sheffield... And Dewsbury. So, you know, they're not easy sides. Some of those, well, most of those, are going to be challenging for top five. York want to win the grand final. They want to be they want to be in Super League next year. Sheffield want to be in the top five, at least. And they nailed York as well. So, you know... They're the early favourites. Be very interesting when they face Toulouse. Moving on to Super League. As I mentioned earlier, just one side that is unbeaten now, which is Huddersfield Giants. Nobody would have said that before the start of the season. And they've only played twice. So everybody else who's played three games have at least lost once. Also... To put that Wakefield win against Warrington into a bit of context, in the last six meetings that they've played each other, I don't think Wakefield won once, so Warrington, you know, they had six wins on the bounce, dating back to the middle of 2017. And if you go back before that, you know, Warrington were pretty dominant before then as well. So, yeah. That was quite a win for them. Moving on to the championship action. I think we should start with the game that was televised on... Well, it it, it wasn't quite televised. It was on TV. It was just on the app. I think they should put that out more ju than just on the app. Because it's free anyway, isn't it? Uh, you know, it's easier if it was on... 
some sort of website or YouTube or something like that because everyone's got a smartphone, yeah, but not everyone's got the ability to cast onto the telly or whatever and I don't always have that ability and it's a, it is a bit crap watching it on your tiny phone screen even though phones these days are about the size of a telly anyway but yeah that's by the by in terms of the game first half Whitehaven they looked wasteful to be honest they had two great chances they had one where all they had to do was just put the ball down on the line and in that process of getting that ball on the ground they dropped it it was a guaranteed try and they dropped it when they were putting it down so that was a knock on they missed those and the other was they were advancing forward a couple of metres away from the try line shoved it out to the wing where a player were waiting but it flew over the sidelines they missed out there on a couple of points well four points at least could have been six had they got those points could they have won probably Oldham took the advantage then and I thought it were pretty basic stuff from them actually they were very disciplined not giving anything away they were completing all the sets they were kicking well they were gaining valuable meters they made sure that when they got to that fifth tackle that that kick went really deep into the Whitehaven half but all that changed in the second half because for Oldham the ill-discipline crept in and pretty much all of Whitehaven's points came from penalties that Oldham gave away it weren't because Whitehaven were producing brilliant offloads it weren't because they were doing tackle busts it were purely because they gave away so many metres because of those penalties in a short space of time and in that period Whitehaven even had a man simbined after they tripped an Oldham player which Oldham got the uh, penalty try for that so you could say Whitehaven were pretty spirited and I think they ran they did quite well against London a couple of weeks ago Last was it last week I can't quite remember so they're showing fight there they're showing that you know they're in games but for them it's three losses out of three Oldham get their first win so they'll be glad to get off the mark there there'll be a bit more pressure on Whitehaven now because they're going to have to start picking up points if they want to stay up also it was 2010 to Batley over Swinton and for Batley that was their first win and Swinton they've only played twice that was their first loss so we not we don't know much of Swinton this year because I think their first win came against Whitehaven. It was either Whitehaven or Oldham that they beat. I think it was Whitehaven. So yeah, we'll have to wait a couple of more rounds to see to to gauge where they might finish. 
Then Featherstone beat Bradford 30 points to 22. That's two wins from two for Featherstone, so they're going quite well. Bradford, though, they've lost their opening two games. They want to get top five, I think. So, you know, it was a close game. There was only two unconverted tries in it. But if Bradford want to be top five, they've got to be winning those games because I think it's it's a it's an even harder competition this year. I think for top five because let's just have a look at the sides. You've got Lee. They they're not just a contender for top five. They're a contender for Super League. Toulouse, same with Lee, as I've just said. London, I think they're a contender for Super League. They're certainly a contender for top five. Featherstone are. Witness are, I think. Halifax could be. Bradford want to get top five. York certainly want top five. Sheffield want top five. That's eight sides. And there's five spots. So three are missing out. And if I was to predict who's going to miss out, I'd say Sheffield might miss out again. Um, York, I've not been impressed by York. Could they miss out? Miss out this time. York, Bradford, and Sheffield. That's who I say will miss out top five. So I think it'll be Lee to lose London, Featherstone, and Witness, which incidentally is the top five already. You could even say Halifax, a top five, which means. Nine would be vying for top five. Very tight in the championship. Quite exciting, actually. Uh, also, Lee 34-0 against York. We mentioned that earlier. You know, worrying for York that they got no points against Lee. Pretty convincing win there. Toulouse won Sheffield 26-14. It was always going to be a tough match for Sheffield. But they fared a lot better than they did against Lee. Who are like a bloody steam train at the moment. And if you look at it in halves. First half, okay, Toulouse, Toulouse won that one. Second half though, it was purely looking at the halves. Sheffield won the second half, 10 points to six so there was a response there there was a desire there was an effort they were better than to lose in the second half but they've got to find a way of keeping those points down being better defensively it's hard coming up against players that are full time but that's the nature of the competition and if you want top five that's what you've got to do but yeah it was pretty surprising they lost 52 points to 52 to 10 I think pretty surprising that happened but I think we saw a response there I think we saw the desire that they had in abundance last year so maybe that would just rustiness at the start of the season interesting to see who they've got next actually let's have a look oh no they take it do they take a week off for the challenge cup yeah, it's a week off for the Challenge Cup, so they're against Halifax, which is another tough game, but then it's it's a Challenge Cup match anyway. 
So that'll be quite a good a good um, encounter. And as I record this podcast now, actually, by the time you hear this, you'll know the score anyway, but Halifax are playing right now, and it's Dewsbury 6, Halifax 0. And that's actually... They've scored three penalties, so it seems like Dewsbury are taking the chances, getting the points on board when they can. So not a, not a good result there for Halifax if that continues. I want it's half time actually, so a bit of rustiness there. And they've only just lost against um, Halifax, haven't they? Sheffield, it were, they were one point in it, so they they've got every chance in that one. Moving on, Widnes lost 38 points to 12. London got the result. London seemed to be getting into the groove now. You know, Widnes had been pretty good at the start of the season. I didn't really know what to make of them. I thought, are they going to be top five? I still think they might get top five this year. Because they were. if you look at it last year, you take away the 12 points that they got for admin... Well, you add on the 12 points, whatever. They were playoff contenders. I'm not sure whether they could, they would have just missed out. But they were there or thereabouts anyway. So, London will be happy with that. It was 26-2 in the first half. So, it was pretty convincing for them. And, actually, nobody in for London in that match scored more than one try. So, every try they scored was by somebody else. So it was a team effort, which, for me, were good to see. You know, you what? That's good if everyone's getting on the score sheet. Anyway, that was the championship roundup. Now we move on to the predictions, which last week. How many did I get last week? Well, I got the Castleford one wrong. I got the Wakefield one wrong, and I got the Saints one wrong as well. I think I got the others right. I got Hud. I definitely got Huddersfield and Salford. I mean, I got Huddersfield right in the Wigan game, which were on my betting slip. So fine by me anyway. Yeah, I, I thought Hull would win, and I thought Castleford would win, and nobody thought Wakefield would win. So that was fifty percent. I'm still taking that as good. Anyway, this week, um, Castleford v Wakefield. This is a tough one. Two sides that are very inconsistent. Wakefield were really impressive against Warrington. They won 18-8, for God's sake. Did the conditions have a part to play? Who knows? Castleford were well beaten by Catalans. But then, before then, they beat Wigan. So, which Castleford side are going to turn up? Is Wakefield's win just a one-off? I've not seen much of these two sides so far. I think this one's on Sky, so this will be an interesting one to see what these two sides are about. But I was looking at the head-to-heads in the last 10 meetings of these two sides. Castleford have won every single game dating back to July 2016. For that reason... Castleford win it all day long, they're at home as well, they're at the Menderhose Jungle or Weldon Road, whatever whatever they call it these days. So yeah, they've won the last ten matches. Come on, Castleford, for God's sake. 
Hull KRV Huddersfield. Now then, in terms of head-to-head, Huddersfield have won the last three meetings between these two sides. Hull KR have just got four wins against the Giants since April 2015. Three of those four, though, were when Hull KR was at home. So, it's pretty close run, actually. I think this one will go down to who's up for it more. And if we if we're considering last week, Hull uh, KR will want to go into the game with defence in mind after shipping so many points. So will that compromise their attack? It could do. Also, the Giants, they'll be busy trying to correct the finishes to the sets that they had. I was very impressed with Aiden Caesar, as I mentioned. I think if he makes his kicks more consistent, then it's Giants all day long, because they're very hard to defend against, actually. And you cannot, you could see why he was in the NRL, NRL Grand Final last year. Uh, for that reason, it's a Giants win. Then it's Warrington v Toronto. There'll be no Storm Dennis to contend with, or at least I don't think there'll be. Home turf for Warrington. They'll be wanting to right the wrongs of last week. Toronto will give a good fight against Wigan. But they couldn't stick it out for the full 80 minutes. Warrington, they want to prove a, prove a point. They've got the squad there. They're at home. It's all pointing to a Warrington win, isn't it? Tough, tough opening few fixtures for Toronto. Who have, who have they got after that? They've got St. Helens after that. Oh, my God. What about after that? Leeds. Wow. They don't get any easier. They're going from top to bottom here. Um, what about after that? Uh, Hull KR. So, the 15th of March is when they placed against a side that is not well backed, even though I've got them as six. I might have to revise that after last week's performance. Uh, after that, they've got Wakefield. So, mid-March, the fixtures start easing off. But let's have a look for Toronto. Who's done these fixtures? Somebody who does not want Toronto in the in the league by the looks of it. They've had Castleford, first match I think that was. Then they had Salford, last year's grand finalists. Then they've got Wigan. Well, then they had Wigan. Now they've got Warrington, then they've got Saints, then they've got Leeds. Jesus Christ. Are they going to win any games? Will they, Will Toronto be winless by the 6th of March? They bloody well could be. Uh, yeah, Warrington are going to win that. Salford v Leeds. Salford, last match, narrowly missed out. What cost them though were the ill-discipline and spilling the ball in crucial areas. I don't think they had much in attack actually either. I thought Evolds were quite quiet and he's the outlet for them now, especially now Hastings has gone. They without Kevin Brown. Leeds have got a strong squad this year. They walloped Hull KR by 52 points as well. Yeah, Leeds will win. Simple as that.
Then we move on to the World Club Challenge. I have to be honest, I don't really watch much NRL. Don't know much about the Sydney Roosters. We know all about St. Helens though, don't we? What I do know is that English sides don't tend to win against the Aussie sides. And purely based on that reason and nothing else, say, uh, Sydney Roosters will win the World Club Challenge. But of course I want the English side to win. Then the last game, I think it's the last game anyway. Wigan v Hull FC, having a look at the head-to-heads. Huddersfield have won just one of the last six meetings against Wigan. But when you delve deeper into those score lines, here they are. 15 14, 23 22, 14 12, and 14 10. So there's about a point in it every game in, in the most recent meetings. The two squads and the form that they've been on seems to me to suggest it'll be a similar set of results. I think it'll depend on what kind of Jake Connor will have this week, whether Bevan French is on it. But purely because of French and Hastings, the deadly Super League partnership, it's a Wigan win. So wins for Wigan, which is a home win. Wins for Leeds, which is an away win. Wins for Warrington, another home win. A win for Huddersfield, which is an away win. So that's two homes, two aways. Oh yeah, the... I don't know where where are they playing at the Saint Saints ground for the for the World Club Challenge. Not sure about that. I think it is it, it is at Saints. I think so. That's an away win there. That's three away wins. So I've gone with three away wins, three home wins. Cause Castleford at home as well, which I think they'll win. I think they'll get back to winning ways. Anyway, that's it for this week. We'll have another one again next week where I'll have had all six right and I'll be a richer man. See you next week.